You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi there, this is the legendary Tom DeFalco. And you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Fantastic Four, episode 22B. Not that we've actually recorded 22 episodes at this point. No. But this is just where it will fall eventually when 10 years down the road we... When all of them are done. (laughs) When all of them are done. 22B, covering a period of Fantastic Four from the tail end of 1992, moving into the beginning of 1993. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Fantastic Four co-host, Eric Findlay. So this... This episode is going to finish off our conversation about the Fantastic Four Epic Collection, Volume 22, This Flame, This Fury. Eric, which issues are we talking about today? We are talking about Fantastic Four Annual Number 25, as well as Fantastic Four Annual Number 26, and Fantastic Four Numbers... 371 through 376. Not all in that order. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the best parts of this of this <laughs> book at the beginning, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We'll we'll bookmark the uh, this with the two annuals and everything in between. Everything else in between. It's going to be a lame sandwich. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, lame sandwich you would have like all the lame Oh, the lame the in the middle. Oh, yeah, no, no. The yeah. lame is the bread in this situation. <laughs> yeah, man, annuals from this period are just they're something else hey there's not great there used to be a time where annuals were a big event you look forward to them and then there were other times like really early on when annuals were just reprints it got to the point where kind of the late 80s early 90s annuals became crossover events and some of them were really good yeah they started off strong with atlantis attacks yeah was uh was that the one with the bride of set yeah like yeah, the yeah. seven brides of set well, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> right uh and yeah so yeah they started off strong and now once we get into here 1993 or so it's like uh they they fill it in with stories that like there's tons of backup stories that are you know just kind of filling space and 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 with those with those ones that you mentioned the the crossover events they started off as here's our event that's going to include everybody and we'll just break up the story into parts now by this point they've sort of run out of those i guess maybe and and now it's like we have to have a crossover story but each annual has to only focus on the characters from this title and so we get this really fragmented story where you know we see only the part that focuses in the middle on the fantastic four and there's clearly stuff before that's like Avengers and clearly stuff after that we're not going to see. That is one of the problems with these epic collections that automatically include every annual is that, yes, we are not going to get all that part. So in this one, we have Citizen Kang Part 3, which started in Avengers, no, started in Captain America and then moved to Avengers, I think. And now it's in Fantastic Four. And yes, it is fragmented. It's only a, a part of the story. And I'm actually surprised that they didn't include the fourth part because the fourth part includes the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. 
but this epic collection already is pretty thick. It's already at like the 500 page mark. So I think maybe they just didn't have space, but it will be collected in full in a different epic collection. They, they do make sure that the full story of all of these annual crossovers is collected in full somewhere. Interesting. So I'm guessing that because it's Captain America and Avengers, the first two part that I'm guessing that uh, in an Avengers epic collection, it will be collected in full. It might already be out. I actually didn't check that beforehand. Now, I have to say, I don't really want to get that book, whatever it is, because <laughs> it's going to be chock full of annuals. And well, yeah. yeah, it'll have if it's okay. So if it's in the Avengers annual, it will have all of the Avengers annual plus the backup stories, but only the Citizen Kang parts from the other annuals. Well, that makes it a little better. A little better, <laughs> except if it's all Herb Trimpy art, yes. like oh man. Oh. So there's another thing to talk about is Herb Trimpy. He he is a long time. He was a long time Marvel artist, like going back to the mm-hmm. '60s. And he was great. Yeah. I read him in Incredible Hulk and those early Hulk volumes and stuff. Really, really great stuff. He's kind of a casualty of the uh, image fad. Yes. Uh, he was one who kind of adapted his style to kind of what was popular over the time. So he went through a number of different transformations in his own style. And then, yes, in the 90s here, you can definitely see he's trying to be extreme. He's trying to be image and it's not working. He he went to the uh, Rob Liefeld School of Art. <laughs> yeah, it, there's just problems, big problems with anatomy and obscured faces, and like yeah. he's definitely trying to do those dynamic, sexy poses or whatever, and it he just can't pull it off. No, and it it's sad to see um, a great talent appear to be like washed up by this point. He's going to end his career sometime around now, around this point, and it's not going out on a high note. No, it's not. And so he does a he. He does both of these annuals here, and he also does a bunch of issues for either Fantastic Four Unlimited or in Fantastic Four Unplugged, or maybe both. Uh, Unlimited. Unlimited, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I remember um, one of the, the early comics that I had was Unlimited number four, I think it was, which was a um, Hulk versus Thing issue with, uh, with, with the Pantheon. Trippy's doing the artwork, yeah. Def- yeah. yeah, that was definitely yeah. his art. Yeah, yeah. So, and he's not the only one. Like, I think that Marvel was kind of pushing a lot of their artists to be more image. And I know that Paul Ryan even fell into that category. I did a, an, I did an interview with Ralph Macchio, and he was saying, uh, I'm not going to put the clip in here because I'm saving that clip for another <laughs> episode. But uh, he was saying that he, you know, he was the editor for FF at this time, and he was pushing uh, Paul Ryan to be more extreme because Paul Ryan's definitely more along the old school line of of composition and panel layouts and such and that's why we get fantastic four with millions of pouches and large guns and sexy outfits however to the you know to tom defalco's credit he also gets a bunch of little jabs in there (laughs) tons and the the whole the whole guns and and jackets and sue's costume and things helmet it's all it's all to make fun of what's going on in the marvel universe right now yeah it's all to make fun it's satire and I think a lot of people don't realize that. No, because it's done in such a good way. It all fits in the story. Yep. Yeah, it, it's it's perfect. And so a cover like this, it, you look at the cover to this epic collection. I know we talked about this in the last episode. So, <laughs> so it's much. like a little bit of a repeat. But the original cover uh, of that issue, 375, it's shiny. Yeah, and you can you can see in the um, interior cover because I think that one's a scan. Yeah, um, and that one you can see the the, the how, how the the reflective part holographic yeah. or whatever. But yeah, I mean that was that was it. It was a it was a flashy cover with uh, the sexy woman in the front in her bikini costume with the guns and the and the jackets and the pouches. 
it's totally making fun of yeah. of it. And actually, the irony behind the jackets is it covers up a lot of the skimpy bathing <laughs> yeah, suit right. stuff. So, yep. so, and, and I wonder if that's kind of on purpose. Like, <laughs> you're forcing us to do this, so we're gonna try to to push back a little bit. Yeah, cover um, up yeah. People were making fun of the the Avengers jackets at the time as well and, and stuff. And the the thing, the problem is now that you you put a cover like that on a collection like this, and everybody thinks, oh man, the Fantastic Four sold out. But right. you know, if you were actually paying attention in the 90s at the time yeah. no they were actually making fun of it and if you read yeah. the content inside this book like you said a lot of jabs you can yeah. you can you know that they're making fun of the fact that this is the 90s and this cover is so uh sort of double-edged because it's iconic to yeah. this time yeah but it also makes people sort of recoil from it yes but this is a great volume <laughs> yeah it's so good there's so much good content in here uh, people shouldn't write it off because of the guns and the jackets so, okay, so let's see here. What are the things that we need to know about the last half of this book before we get into it? Because it goes into some, like a lot of different directions. Yeah, so there's some there's some kind of deep cuts here. And so there are a few things you need to know. The one that probably everybody knows um, is that we're going to see the new Fantastic Four here again. And the new Fantastic Four are Hulk, Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider. Now, originally it was Grey Hulk, but at this point in time, he's not Grey Hulk. He's... Um, uh, Professor Hulk. Yes. Right? Smart Hulk. Yeah. Uh, and so we saw them last in 347, I believe it was. Um, and now we're going to see them again. And, but this time, they're called together by Doctor Strange. They right. call themselves the Secret Defenders. Yeah, so so sometimes, in some parts, it says the new Fantastic Four. I think in the in the like the like next time, little caption. Well, box, even on the says, cover. Yeah, and it says new Fantastic Four. But then, and then they, it says, oh, the, the Secret Defenders. And that's because um, Doctor Strange was previously the leader of the Defenders. But by this time, the Defenders had disbanded. Ended. They just couldn't function as a team properly or whatever. Well, they all moved over to X-Factor. Yeah. So Doctor Strange, still wanting to be in this Defender's role, would randomly call up a group of heroes, whoever happened to suit the needs of, of the mission, and they would be called the Secret Defenders because they weren't really officially a team and they weren't publicly known or anything like that. Yeah, and it was an ongoing series at the time. So this this story is a Secret Defender story, I guess, and a new Fantastic Four. It kind of fits both purposes. Yeah, so in, in addition to saying the new Fantastic Four to bring in the Fantastic Four readers, it says also, well, suddenly... Uh, they become the secret defenders so to get in the uh, secret defenders fans yeah good uh, cross promotion there um okay also um we will see in this first annual the kotati the kotati were a plant-based race originally from the planet hala where the kree live at the time they were peaceful uh and the well actually both the kree and the kotati were peaceful and they got along and then the scrolls come along and the scrolls who were also peaceful at the time everybody peaceful in the past the scrolls who were also peaceful at the time uh wanted to spread their knowledge and technology and help uh, out alien races throughout the the universe and so they came to this planet hala and they wanted to propose a test between the kotati and the kree to see who would earn their knowledge and friendship and like why if, if you're just this is your mission then why don't you just befriend them both but i don't know anyway 17 Kotati, 17 Kree were placed on the blue area of the moon, which the Skrulls made. So the Skrulls made this blue area of the moon so they could have their competition to see who could accomplish more in a year. The Kree built this great big city, which is where like the Watcher lives now. And, and that's what you see whenever uh, Marvel shows like the blue area of the moon. Uh, but the Kotati built this really big garden. And 
because the Kotati sort of built something out of nothing, there's like no, there's air, but there's not really anything else that's viable for plant life. And because so they grew this whole garden, then they actually won out in this competition, which angered the Kree. And so then the Kree killed the Kotati that were there and started wiping them out of their planet. And some of them survived um, by going into hiding. And eventually those trained some um, Kree to become priests known as the priests of Pama. Yes. <laughs> okay. Keep going. Oh boy. Mantis, a member of the Avengers, is one of these priests of Pama. Yeah. And she was raised by these Kree priests. She was fated to be the celestial Madonna, the perfect human who would mate with the perfect Kotati and give birth to the perfect child known as the celestial Messiah who would rule the galaxy or something. So she has a child um, with another Avenger, Swordsman, who was actually kind of dead, but had been <laughs> possessed by this perfect uh, elder Kotati. And they had the child named Koi, short for Sequoia, a nice plant creature name. Yeah. The Kotati decide it's better that they should raise a child, so they stole him and also stripped Mantis of her power so she couldn't fight back. And that is sort of the backstory to what we're going to be reading here. Uh, interestingly, that actually did come back in more recent times and was the foundation of the Empire story, right. crossover story. Yeah. We have the Kree and the Skrull who have finally put their difference behind them. Then they've teamed up to form one empire. But then the Kotati see this and they're like, well, we've been oppressed for so long. We finally built up an army. And this child, Koi, is like, I'm going to take my rightful place in the galaxy now. But it took them like, what, uh, 30 years to get to that point? So that's a long preamble for actually not a huge story in no. this book. <laughs> no, it's not. But this, And this is the problem with those backup story and crossover story annuals. Yeah. Is that if you're not reading all of these different titles, you're lost. Okay, so you're going to talk about Kang at all? I hadn't even thought about talking about <laughs> Kang. Was, there's one more thing I was going to mention. You can okay, talk about Kang. Sure. Um, Days of Future Past. Yeah, yeah, X-Men yeah. story. Uh, it's an alternate future where mutants are hunted and captured or killed. And um, we see in the resistance, the mutant resistance... Franklin Richards, uh, who is the son of Reed and Sue, and Rachel Summers, who is now known as Rachel Gray. Phoenix. Uh, the, the Phoenix. Fe the second Phoenix. Yep. And they are sort of the leaders of the underground resistance with Wolverine and Kate Pride. Yep. And I think we had a Days of Future present annual crossover uh, before this. So we've already seen an older Franklin come to present day and interact with uh, Reed and Sue and all the team and, and Rachel's there and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that that's already happened. I'm not going to talk about Kang because that could take forever as well. <laughs> and like, for the most part, if you read the story, it kind of tells you everything you need to know. So yeah, the, the nice thing is that it does have sort of a like a, a flashback that, that, that talks a little bit about the Kang history that, that's relevant. Yeah. The one thing that I can't remember if it's mentioned right away is that right around this time in comics, it was revealed that Kang is uh, Nathaniel Richards, the father of Reed Richards. And they're sort of vague about whether it's, you know, just a future version or if it's an alternate future, alternate timeline or whatever. But the fact is that he's finally been named. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. If you've stuck with us for this long, good for you. We're going to start with annual number 25. This is Citizen Kang Part 3. 
And uh, yeah, this is kind of the story we were talking about a second ago about Kang. It drops us into the middle of the story. So we have to kind of put the pieces together. That, that said, it does a good job of sort of starting off like like it seems like it's a start to a story assuming that you know you kind of know a little bit about the history which they explain and they gave they they make references it kind of seems like the start of a story yeah Uh, if it weren't for the fact that it says part three it could very well be just the part of the story yeah so dr druid shows up in the four freedoms plaza which is there's a little bit of a mistake here because the four freedoms plaza is supposed to be destroyed in the top levels but we see it in full here so either this is not quite in continuity um or or it's just a mistake in the artwork the, the herb trimpy artwork but uh yeah so dr druid brings along this shape-shifting female who can take on different appearances this is a character we've already met before yeah a few uh, times a few times um, particularly in walt simonson's run uh, going by the name nebula in fact she was a major player in the previous new fantastic four story right. she's the one that got them all together or, or yeah that needed them all to all come together anyway she's back because she's trying to take over Kang's dynasty. She had a romance with Kang and now she's trying to take over. So they go like jet setting through time. And then the Avengers, this is actually a terrible, terrible story. <laughs> uh, so the Avengers also go through time through this weird portal that's in a billboard. Yeah. And just because they're following Sue's little invisible well, breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, they like, their people have gone missing and they keep sending more people and they keep going missing. <laughs> yeah. So then they're like, finally, well, maybe we should check this out. And and then when they get there, they, they they detect Sue's little bubbles that she's leaving behind for no apparent reason. Well, no, because um, the, the time sled, yeah. which is also from Walt Simonson's run, yes. the, t- the time sled, the Rosebud 2, yeah. is going like left and right and left and right and whatever, whatever. She's afraid they're going to get lost. So that's why she's dropping these little so markers. Like and, and Gretel there. Exactly. So she can, they can find their way back, the proper way through time back into their time. Mm-hmm. But so the, the why, why I say this one is bad is because they, the Avengers, eventually show up in this time period of time where the fantastic four end up as well and they assume that the fantastic four are kind of behind this and so classic move the heroes get to fight but it is such a dense and poorly laid out and badly scripted fight that it's just a chore to read it is now i just finished reading um and doing a podcast about executioner's song <laughs> you know how many people i counted how many characters it's gotta be like 25 it's 55 characters 55. because we have the x-men golden blue we have right. x-factor we have x-force we have the dark riders we have the mutant liberation front and right. we have apocalypse's four horsemen together it's 55 characters and those issues are superbly scripted and laid out especially and then i had to read this and it is just <laughs> awful just yeah. awful it's it's kind of thing where like you have to focus on every single part of the fight so it's like oh here's a page of you know the thing fighting hercules and then here's a page of human torch fighting whoever and then here's a page of and it just doesn't flow. There, there, it, yeah, that's the problem is that the flow is just terrible. It, it doesn't work and it makes it such a chore to read. And part of it is because Herb Trimpey is trying to do like big action splash pages and fancy panel layouts and weird poses and 
which he's just not experienced at. Yeah, it, it's just not great. No. Um, so overall, doesn't inspire me to uh, to pick up the last part of this story, which honestly might be more interesting because of these anachronots, these these characters <laughs> that they've pulled out of time that are um, from different points in Marvel history. Uh, they look cool. It's interesting because um, I couldn't name any of them. And I, so I had to look them up. I only know the one with the wolf skin. Um, yeah. Red Wolf. He's not Red Wolf. Is he? Not, he, not officially. Well, he's a descendant of he it is, or something. He is, in, he is the first or Red Wolf. Ancestor. He is the ancestor uh, named Wild Run. Right. So I guess I don't know specifically. No. but and, I mean, and, and, and I knew the, the guy in the middle, he's got a bloodstone in him. Yes. And so, but it's not Ulysses? But it's not bloodstone. No, it's not Ulysses' bloodstone. Yeah. So we've got um, Death Hunt 9000, Ra, Sith. One of the previous Black Knights, I kind of guessed that, but I wasn't sure. Well, yeah, it looks like a Black Knight. Uh, named Rastun, Apocryphus, Wild Run, Tindar the Gladiator. <laughs> and uh, I also looked up, the, all of them appear probably one other time. And it's either in, a couple of them appear in Force Works at some point. Okay. And some of them appear in Avengers Forever, which doesn't really count, I don't think, because <laughs> that's one of those like throwback, let's look at, uh, um, you know, let, let's write some new stories in a previous timeline kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it counts. I can't remember if it counts or not. So they, like, like they pretty much specifically chose that period of time so they could write about those characters, I, I would think. Uh, the, the one thing that I would want to, to mention about that story is that they, they say that Ravona has mind-manipulating technology, which she has used to change her appearance. And I think that that is to um, get around the confusion between Nebula, the space pirate slash daughter of Thanos, and the Nebula that we saw in uh, Walt Simonson's run and with the new Fantastic Four and stuff like that. Right. Because they are treated as very different characters who look very similar and have the same name. So then this is to say, oh, Oh, she's actually not. She is somebody else. She was just trying to appear like that because of reputation or whatever. Yeah, uh, I found a lot of this to be a lot of retconning in general, especially yeah. with Kang's origin story, because Roger Stern in Avengers kind of just a few years before this spent a lot of time and effort straightening it out, straightening it out. <laughs> yeah, tying kind of pieces together. And I thought he did a really, really good job. And then kind of a, they're kind of essentially saying in this story that, um, you know, they're actually not all connected. They're separate beings and they don't know each other or whatever. And this is the weird history of Kang is like half of it is, well, he became Ramatut and he became uh, Kang and he became Immortus at different points in his own timeline. But then also that every single action creates a new Kang for the Council of Kangs. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's just messy. It's messy. I don't think it's necessary. So I, I mean, eventually I'll read all of these parts because I'll go through all of the epic collections and eventually I'll probably want to try and read them in order to see if they actually do make sense or if there's payoff, but I'm not inspired to no. at all. So yeah, so if we if we move on, uh, we have like a, a nice um, pinup piece. From Herb Trimpey? From here, yeah. And it's actually not bad. Yep. Um, out of all the art in the book, then that's it might be the best of his. And then we have a top 10 villains of the FF mini story. Franklin comes in and uh, is talking to his dad who is just sort of finishing updating some files. Uh, and so Reed just goes through all um, who all of their major villains are and then says, but you don't have to worry about them because we're going to take care of you. So the artist in this is Larry Alexander. And this is one of the issues that I have with the annuals is that they're often a 
home for like tryout artists. So Larry Alexander, I'm assuming, didn't have a fruitful career in comics because I've never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> I always notice when an artist will uh, will break the, the, I think it's the Kirby rule of never stretching Reed Richards' ne- uh, neck. Um, I... I have to, I should really should look up this quote, but I believe it's Kirby who was saying that, you know, as soon as you stretch uh, his neck, he turns into Plastic Man. Right. And he's and, not Plastic Man. He's Mr. Fantastic. And you look at this with his neck stretched and he looks like Plastic Man. He looks Man. like Plastic Man. Because that's a humorous thing. Stretching the neck is funny, yeah. but Mr. Fantastic is not funny. He stretches his arms. He stretches his legs. He stretches his torso. That's yeah. about it. And there are other artists, um, even, you know, like Paul Ryan and a couple that, that do that occasionally, but it's for a specific purpose it's never just he's just doing it i don't even think uh, you'll have to we'll have to keep an eye out for yeah. paul ryan because i don't I think remember. he does that if he I if, thought he did but usually I, but, yeah. if they need to stretch the the head the shoulders go with them oh that's true yeah maybe yeah but uh, yeah, i can i can think of uh, um some other cases where he has stretched the neck and it hasn't looked like plastic man but because it is very intentional it, it's purposeful yeah well this one is this one's not funny. he's just looking behind him and I, and you can write this one off as like you know he's playing with his kids so he's goofing off or whatever but it still looks weird because it's mr fantastic right uh okay so the top 10 list here we go number 10 puppet master so this guy again the artist here larry alexander doesn't draw him with his signature leonard nimoy eyebrows Yep, and uh, and giant sized cranium. So kind of normal size. It just looks like a normal guy, a normal bald guy. So that's uh, kind of weird. But then the yeah, a lot of these pictures are also I think just swipes from other issues. Like I, I've seen a lot of these poses. Yeah, they might be before in other issues here. But uh, so yeah, number nine is Mole Man. Then counting down, Psycho Man, The Frightful Four, Molecule Man, Annihilus, and then the top four: Mad Thinker, The Skrulls, Galactus, and of course number one is Doctor Doom. What do you think of this? placement this hierarchy here i think it's very indicative of the time uh molecule man by this time is mostly reformed yeah he's not really a threat to them no so so that one i might question um psycho man we're right in the heart of malice again so you know that's uh that's definitely out there although we haven't seen him in a long time no he doesn't play into this into this era at all uh, Frightful Four, we see that like again, the the new Frightful Four are big players in this in this issue and the, and the next few issues. Um, so or sorry, this volume and the next volume. Not this volume at all. The Frightful well, Four. Well, sorry, there. The, the, well, the start of the new Frightful Four. Right. We have we have three out of four of the new Frightful Four in, in this. Yeah, but we see this picture here, and it's like Medusa's there. So obviously right. they're they're looking at the well, yeah, files yeah. from a long so, time ago. So so I feel like their inclusion could be because the name is being used here and sort of in the future. If if they knew that, but wizard, I could see being part of it. But again, but Sandman is reform, reformed at yeah, this point. Medusa's reformed. Sandman's reformed. Uh, nobody talks about Pace Pot Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe he's over in Spider Man somewhere. I don't know. But yeah, you know, wizard would be would make sense. But the frightful four um, as a team doesn't really make sense. Yeah, really, I think number one and two spot should be Oculus. Oh yeah, and right. um, uh, Dreadface. Dread <laughs> And uh, Devos the Devastator. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> at least at least Devos the Devastator has been in a couple of issues. <laughs> yep. More more than Dreadface. <laughs> we'll see him later on in this in this book. Yeah, that's fine. 
Okay, so my favorite part of this annual has got to be the uh, the short story starring The Thing and Franklin called This Monster, where Franklin has uh, just asks Uncle Ben to play a new video game. It, is it called Nintendum? Is that what it's called? No, it's called Nincompoop. Nincompoop, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're going to play a Pac-Man type game, and it's the original Nintendo. Yeah. So they're going to play, but of course, Thing's fingers are so big that he just snaps it. This is one of those classic Thing is, is kind of mopey down on himself, but then feels better by the end because somebody cheers him up in this case it's franklin the art here is from kirk jarvanen a name that i think he did a fill-in issue in x factor maybe again another name that i don't recognize but man he is swiping arthur adams thing left and right totally like all over the place uh and like the little kid looks like he could be a uh early Joe Madrira kind of a face as well. Yeah, he's definitely swiping other artists. So I don't really know how good he is, but the story is touching and it's yep. sweet and and uh, and I liked it. Yeah, I love just at the end where Franklin comes up to him and gives him a big hug and he's like, we don't have to play video games. We can do something that's like better for you. Yeah. And then he's like, here, let's play football. Yeah, Franklin's always had this maturity about him Yeah, that, uh, that really shines in this story for sure. And then we get the weirdest story of this lot, I think. Yeah. Um, if that first part, the Kang part, was not weird enough, it's called Duel of Pride, and it features Moondragon and Mantis. Oh, one thing I didn't mention before, uh, Moondragon is a member of the Infinity Watch and is the possessor of the Mind Gem because it enhances her already pretty strong uh, mental powers. So in this, Moondragon is like just, uh, you know, doing her regular mental meditation, reach out with her mind thing and finds out that Mantis is on, uh, is is like around. And so then they have this little mental battle because Mantis wants to team up to rescue her child from the Kotati, but then and Moon Dragon refuses. So they have a fight and it's like, hey, you know, if I win, then you'll help me. And if not, then, you know, whatever. And so they have this fight and Moondragon wins. But then Moondragon's like, I'll help you anyway. And then Mantis is like, I don't need your help. <laughs> oh, man. It's so weird. And it's drawn by Herb Trimpey. So it doesn't look good either. This is like the, some of these images are like the classic images I think of, unfortunately, when I think of Herb Trimpey. Because yeah. they're like, like the ones where Moon Dragon is jumping and just the combination of the pose and I guess his attempt at foreshortening. Oh, yeah. And like just the the, the image style of super ripply muscles and everything. Moondragon's thigh is like twice as big as her head. <laughs> yes. And and it, oh man, it, it always looks like that, at least in my memory. Yeah, and he draws the mouths like super small, the faces are super small and stuff. And, and, and yeah. it's all really like tight line drawn faces with really tense muscles so they always just look like they're They're squinting they're squinting and shouting yeah Yeah. all the time all the faces are exactly the same yeah it yeah Uh. okay last story in this in this book is called a hall of mirrors starring kang and this is kind of a uh, this is something that happens in these annuals as well, is there's a main story like the evolutionary war, and then there's always a, a shorter chapter in the annual about that character at High Evolutionary. In this case, it's Kang. So we get Kang looking at his TVs and kind of looking at all of his different um, points in time. The, the time, the times that he's tried to defeat the Avengers in different points in history. And it's and also looking at how it's been different people or different Kangs and different robots or whatever. Um, it's a it's really kind of just going through the greatest hits of of Kang's stories in the past. 
this is also part of a series. So the one before this kind of talks about Kang's origins. And then this one talks about Kang first meeting super people. But it also brings into into the story a bunch of different uh, alternate versions. Like there's a what if issue that's represented in here when he's like the, what's he called? The red, the uh, Scarlet, Scarlet Centurion. Centurion. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's that as well. Which, by the way, has become part of his actual history now. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's fun if you have read these issues and you re- and you know what they're talking about and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that time. But if you haven't read these issues, then it's like just little. It's like watching a clips episode of a TV show without having seen any of the other exactly. episodes. Yeah, it's like if you know a little bit about Kang's history, then it's kind of neat because it helps you to fill in some gaps and understand. Uh, like especially if you read Fantastic Four and not Avengers, because Kang's sort of a villain for both, and so his development happens in both. Uh, both series yeah especially with like Ramatut being an FF villain yeah yeah and Immortus it brings in Immortus in here and yeah yeah I mean it's it's nice it's nothing to, to write home about but I did have a, a fun time going through these and like oh yeah the space phantom and stuff like that yeah, <laughs> yeah one more pinup by Carl Altstatter and another one from Kirk Jarvanen and the one by Kirk Jarvanen looks like it's kind of a cross between Walt Simonson and Arthur Adams a little bit of both there and that brings us to the end of our annual. Oh, boy. Oh, that was a slog. <laughs> Even so, talking about it was a tough. Yeah, uh, definitely the low point in this. But thankfully, majority of the content in this epic collection is rock solid. So I don't mind enduring one annual. Yeah, and, and you endure that one annual, and then you get the payoff. Uh, yeah. What I think is like the highlight of this book. So we have now issue 371, This Flame, This Fury, the title issue. And I just want to say first that I absolutely loved this cover when it came out. The this embossed cover? The embossed cover. It is uh, plain white for the first printing and plain red for the second printing. And it is embossed with, uh, the fen- uh, with the Human Torch on it. And you've got like um, a melting logo and a melting corner box. Yeah. And, and oh, so cool. So in the letters page for this issue, it actually says that the cover was penciled and inked by Paul Ryan. And John Romita was the dimensional consultant whatever that means oh interesting like, so yeah. like which part should be uh, should be raised buffed and out stuff. a yeah. little more yeah <laughs> with dave dave sharp doing the logo the melting logo uh and so that's that's kind of cool I, I would love to see what the original pencil work because all of the detail is lost yeah because of the tech just you know it's not great technology at the time to do this embossing what does the actual picture look like? And you know, if it were done now, they'd have the A cover and the B cover be the white and the red, and they have like the C cover be something completely different, and yeah. the, the you know <laughs> the artist of the week or whatever, and then you'd have like the F cover, which would be the original uh, the original, original art. art. Yeah, I wonder if it's lost or whatever, because they didn't include it as a bonus feature in the Epic Collection, so I don't know. Yeah, and that seems like the kind of thing they would do. Okay, take us through this issue. All right, so in this issue, Reed and Ben, along with the Puppet Master, trying to figure out what happened to Alicia. Last time we saw her, Aaron the Rogue Watcher took advantage of the distraction of the Infinity War to kidnap Alicia for some reason, and we don't know why. We also have the thing and Sharon starting their uh, uh, continuing the relationship sort of yeah I mean Sharon wants to continue it (laughs) yes Ben's not so sure Sue has her new costume and uh, Johnny starts off at college or continues at college I guess when all of a sudden Johnny is attacked by the team of Paybok the power scroll and Devos the devastator 
he is totally overwhelmed, especially once they're joined by Lijah, um, which mentally has an impact on him. And he feels so overwhelmed that he feels he has no other choice but to go Nova. And this is something that has, I should have looked it up, but I didn't, rarely happened before. But it's Johnny focusing all of his heat and energy into one concentrated, powerful burst, similar to the explosion of a small star. Yep. Uh, very dangerous. Uh, but he does this because basically they're going to kill him. And that has a lot of repercussions going forward. Yeah, I love that well, that splash page where he goes Nova and it's like... It's, it's all white and yellow. It's all white and yellow to show the intensity of the heat and also just the intensity of the scene itself. It's like they, yeah. they really bring it together there. It looks great. And then you flip the page and you see the devastation. It's the same, almost the same. Yeah, it's exactly the same shot. It's exactly like the building is in exactly the same yeah. place. So if you like the take background. the page and flip it back, back and, and forth, forth like a flip book, yeah. you can see the before and the after where he's completely destroyed uh, this university. And that's a uh, big trouble. Yeah. And we you think about all of the destruction that superheroes do. And they're like destroying buildings all the time and that kind of thing. But this one seems because it's fire i think it seems like it's more dangerous and violent in yeah a sense. i mean because we had a whole comic book about this right damage control yeah and it's like well we can re- just rebuild things right you knock it down we can rebuild yeah and like a gamma bomb a couple of issues ago a gamma right. bomb blew off the top five floors of the four freedoms plaza building and i guess that one's a little different because it's at the top and, and it's like, their own there's property nobody else there right yeah but, but this is this is a public building the, the four freedoms plaza is still filled with tenants though it, like people live there down below yeah but yeah but for some reason this one is more devastating and it does seem more devastating and i think it's the fact that um well i mean they want to play up the drama of course right. but it's the I mean, devastation it's the 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 de- the desperation that yep. torch felt yeah and uh it's an institution of uh of learning right it's where people would hopefully you know learn better ways than just violence and yeah. thuggery <laughs> well and it's just more respected because of that i mean if, yeah. if he went nova and it happened to light the corner store on fire we yeah. wouldn't have the same sort of reaction no which is <laughs> Which is kind of unfortunate yeah. for the corner, corner store owner. Definitely. Yeah. All right. There are quite a few coloring errors here. Yeah. Which I thought, which, and, and, you know, I kind of like that they left them in the Epic Collection, but uh, it's weird. Uh, Sharon's hair, notably, several times. Sue's hair once. Often the white in their costumes are, is flesh colored. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That a couple times. And then there was a spelling mistake as well. <laughs> and they left that in too. They left that in too. Yeah. It's on page 288 in the Epic Collection. I like the color scheme that they're going for with Paybok and and Devos the Devastator. Like they're they're all kind of dark greens and blues. Yeah. And, and so when they're fighting against Torch... Like the color Big contrast, contrast is, yeah. is great. I love the just the playing off of those those colors, and they're um, especially uh, in the if you go back to like the original issues, the the colors are so much more. Um, they're just darker because it, everything prints darker in the newsprint, so it, the contrast is even greater. But I like all the different colors of blasts that they have just making it more colorful it's not all white it's not all like red and yellow or whatever you know and that goes back to uh what you were saying about the artist last time yeah gina going yeah and so then you add in lija to the mix and she is a a cross between the dark greens and blues and the brighter orange like her belt and her all of her um bracelets and helmet and everything are are orange and then the purple makes her stand out too and then she's just a lighter shade of green so it's like she is literally caught in the middle between like her color is representative of where she is between the, the bad guy and the good guy. I think I don't know if it's intentional. I never caught that, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, 
and very much representative of her mental state at this point where she's furious at, at Johnny for leaving her but at the same time still very much loves him yeah exactly elephant in the room Sue's got a new costume <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that's for sure and Reed's reaction is like oh, oh, oh yeah like he doesn't notice he's trying not to make a big deal about it um, I'm not exactly sure what his deal is except for just generally being Reed yeah uh, like he's he's definitely noticed a shift in her attitude and stuff so maybe he doesn't want to provoke her uh which he ends up doing anyway well he starts yelling at her and everything as well oh it's sorry like, you know right yeah this is I, where he actually does yeah yeah so i'm not exactly sure why like i mean he's probably just on edge because she's on edge and and such but uh yeah i mean this is the beginning of some major strife for them that's not going to end well yeah in it's, the future. it's it's interesting because sue has lashed out before about a few things and she's usually like she's usually right yeah although, although you know a little over the top but in this case her reaction is not related to the actual uh conversation at hand right she still has a point that reed's been ignoring her and the family and and you know buried in his science work that's a common read thing. which yeah which is a common read thing but uh, that's not actually what their conversation was about but just it just comes up again but then typical read again doesn't realize that it's not just about this one issue he thinks his his reaction why are you overreacting is because he thinks it's about this one thing oh yeah you didn't pay attention to my costume i'm gonna lash out at you but doesn't realize that it's just the build-up over time yeah johnny uh, this is one of those jabs that i was talking about johnny's referencing the keeping pace with the changing times the world is growing more vicious and guys like x-factor and the punisher and wolverine have the right attitude human torch won't be left behind this is page 281 <laughs> yep totally <laughs> yeah there's a couple times when he's like this is the 90s get with the 90s get or with whatever. the program guys <laughs> yeah and that yeah that's just one of like you said the many little jabs that we're gonna get at the 90s we're gonna even get like a 2000 and a 2099 reference a little later on yeah <laughs> we haven't even talked about uh sharon or aaron yet yeah, Sharon got, gets a new costume here too. Quite a stark contrast to Sue's new costume. She covers up a lot more, which I think is interesting. More than her previous yes, Miss Marvel exactly. costume. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Co right. yeah. More than her previous Miss Marvel costume. So uh, she decides to go along with Reed and Ben to rescue Alicia. And I think it's probably because she kind of, I mean, she wants to help, obviously, but she also kind of wants to figure out where Ben's at. Yep. So they confront the Watcher and are captured. And that takes them out of play for um, a lot of, for the next few issues, in fact. Yeah. Uh, this is a good move, is dividing the team, because now we're leaving the two characters who are becoming more hot-headed uh, or more... Uh, volatile. More volatile, yeah, yeah, that's a good word for it, uh, together to, to fend for themselves. Which is not a great combination. No. <laughs> and Johnny's biggest mistake here was not asking for help earlier. He thinks, I can take care of these guys. I don't need to call the, the others for help. I'm still kind of embarrassed about all the other stuff. Yeah, he's thinking of quitting the team at this point. Right. And so he doesn't want to involve them, which is his big mistake. But even if he had called them, half of them have already left. Yep. So, and that brings us into the next issue, number 372. This one's called No More the Hero. Okay, so you got to look at this cover because I really like the cover. The composition's great with the guys with the guns and, and Johnny on fire. It's really intense. But then it has this blurb down at the bottom that says, featuring Code Blue, Spider-Man, Lige of the Laser Fist, Paybock the Power Scroll, Divas the Devastator, and much, much more. <laughs> it's like the only selling point in that blurb is Spider-Man. Who the heck is Code Blue? Who the heck is 
Zacchaeus, Elijah, Paybok, and Divas. Nobody will know these guys. Like unless you're reading Fantastic Four unless, already. Yeah, the 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 casual person just perusing the the Seven Eleven or whatever is not going to know any of and, these characters. And where's Code Blue from? The, yeah, the only other place you'd know Code Blue is if you were reading Thor or Thunderstrike. And so, or actually Thunderstrike, I don't even think is happening at this point yet. But they're not known. Nobody knows these guys. So I thought that was just funny. I think I think that's Tom DeFalco's doing because he's got a good sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. And much, much more. There's not a lot more than those. There, there's, there is more, but not a lot more than what's mentioned. Right. So in this issue, Code Blue, so Code Blue is like a team of, Police, a special team of police officers that is specifically tasked uh, to to help out with superhero related or super powered related incidences. Uh, at least in this issue, they seem kind of ineffective at it. Yeah, I think and most I mean, like, of the time how, they are. How do you take on superheroes with just like laser guns? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they're, they're here to bring in the torch. And at first, the torch um, decides to go along because it's like, you know what? I did do it. I need to be accountable for my actions, which is the good hero, superhero thing for him to do. Sue, because she's under the influence of malice right now, doesn't want anything to do with that. So she's very overprotective of her brother and is not going to let anything happen. Yeah, and this is an example of, of Malice enhancing what's already there. She's always been protective of Johnny. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, so through the course of this issue, uh, Paybok and Lija kind of uh, show up in the crowd as as Johnny's being taken away, and that causes him to kind of freak out, like yeah, they're going they, to attack again. They and intentionally he's reveal themselves for a split second so yep. that he'll notice. And so he kind of flies away from police custody to try and catch them. And that's not a good move. Yeah, but also he realizes that, A, these people are after him. And they could be anyone and anywhere. So he's not even safe in jail. Uh, But B, anywhere where he is, is going to be dangerous because people are after him. So he's better off on the run because it will protect others. I also appreciate how Code Blue is trying to help Johnny. Like, oh, I, yeah. on the one hand, they got to do their job, but they're actually big fans of him and the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And so they just want to do it right and they want to do it like with as little fuss as possible. Uh, there are a couple of subplots here. One of them is dealing with the tenants of the Four Freedoms Plaza. And Sue, I think she's probably always been the liaison to talk to the tenants and stuff, but um, she, because well, she's... She, yeah, she and Reed together, because you, you, you can tell here that they want to talk to Reed. Yeah. But but Sue usually is more of the, the, the face of the group in that way. Yeah. But this could just be a, you know, typical, we want to talk to the man of the house kind of thing. But she's here and she's in charge because Reed's gone and the meeting does not go well. They want the, her to, you know, hurry up and fix the building. And she kind of loses her temper. And uh, there's a humorous scene where... Um, she makes everybody's clothes disappear because, because they're making fun of her costume. And so, yeah, that's going to uh, come up to play a little while later as well. And then there's another subplot where the, the, the puppet master decides to take matters into his own hands trying to save Alicia because he doesn't know where Reed and Sue and Sharon went and they didn't purposely didn't take him along because they don't trust him. So he's like, I'm going to figure it out myself. So or at he, least spy on them and make sure that things are going well. But he's going to send the Molecule Man uh, who we haven't seen in a long time i don't think secret war 2 something like that yeah but yeah because at the end of secret war 2 he sort of like went off in seclusion yeah yeah because volcana has died and he's just kind of wants to be by himself he's not a bad guy no and that's why he why is he in the top 10 list of villains he's not a bad guy he just you know and even here he's only involved because puppet master's taken him over yeah (laughs) it's not like he's actually invested in this at all and then once puppet well we'll see you in the next issue puppet master loses control of him he just goes home 
He's like, oh, why was I even here in the yeah. first place? I don't even really know her. <laughs> okay, another subplot here is with Jonah. We get a scene in the Daily Bugle with Jonah and with Peter Parker. It's weird for me to see Paul Ryan drawing these characters because I feel like he's trying to do his best kind of John Romita impression, yeah. but they don't quite look right, um, which is weird because it's like his Fantastic Four, they definitely look like the Fantastic Four, but his Jonah is just a little off. But I mean, he's just not practiced at drawing them or something. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Jonah hires Silver Sable and the Wild Pack to bring in this fugitive. <laughs> there's your much more. Yeah, there's the much more. Yeah. Yeah. You got seven more people. And then one confusing scene in here is we get an alternate reality where Ben wakes up and he is, uh, he's, he's human and yep. he's married to Alicia and they have three kids and their kids' names are Susan and, and Johnny and Penny, named after his <laughs> Aunt Petunia. Right. And um, why... I, sorry, Eric, I'm not naming my children after, <laughs> after you. <Aww. laughs> kind of weird but yeah so it's like this ideal life and um but then he gets a glimpse of reality but doesn't doesn't know that it's reality he, he just thinks he's going a little nuts so yep uh the the interesting thing is that this is supposedly like a world where the fantastic four didn't exist or they as the fantastic four didn't exist so if this is under the control of the watcher of, of aaron then it's kind of a mistake to uh leave some of those familiar names in there um but if it's maybe under the control more of ben then maybe it makes sense it's a subconscious thing but we find out more about that in the next issue so we also know because of the very end of steve engelhart's run uh which we haven't recorded an episode about yet because that epic collection isn't out but aaron the rogue watcher plays a big role in that and catches all of the fantastic four in tubes and places them all in different dream states yeah and there's a few issues each issue is like a different reality or whatever and they sort of have to fight through their own reality to get back together and, and and yeah. have the big final battle. So he's doing the same thing here again, first with Alicia, using her as the the bait to bring the rest of the Fantastic Four and now trapping the rest of the or the the trapping the members of the Fantastic Four that did show up in this dream state as well. Right. This is the real start to their financial issues. I, I think I said that a, a little bit last time as in we got the lead up to it, but uh, this is where we really have the actual causes of their financial issues. Uh, the roof, you know, they, yep. they need to get that done. The university, there's a court case going to go on with uh, with Johnny. The tenants are all upset and probably walking out. Yep. Yeah. It's not a good situation. Nope. And Susan definitely doesn't make it any better. She's not the one who should be uh, managing this stuff right now. No. Uh, so now we have issue 373 titled Shattered Lives. This one also has a, uh, a <laughs> guest little... starring on the front. Yep. Uh, Silver Sable in the Wild Pack, Spider-Man, Daredevil, and again, many, many more. So that has a better selling point because of, yeah. of course, Spider-Man and Daredevil, but also Silver Sable has her own ongoing series at this point. Right. So And, and she's been around for a while. People know yep. her. So there you go. Let's, uh, let's use that blurb instead of the <laughs> other one. Last episode, we talked about how there was a um, callback to Amazing Spider-Man number eight. Yeah. Right? And this one actually has a callback to Fantastic Four number one. Right. Yes. Yeah. So in this dreamscape, Ben and Reed sort of realize that things aren't right. And Reed's kind of like, we got to look into this. And Ben's like, no, like, I'm pretty happy here and attacks him. And, you know, Reed stretches out of the way and Reed goes all rocky. And people are like, you're transforming into some kind of thing. And it's exactly Fantastic Four number one. Yeah. Yeah. All the poses, even when Sharon knocks over the, the 
coat rack. Yep. Like that's the same pose that Sue did when she was recoiling in fear in, in Fantastic Four number one. But again, it's not just like an exact copy. It's slightly different. Yeah, it's a Which tribute. makes it fresh. It's a total tribute and it's so well done. Yeah. Okay, so the wild pack here is uh, Silver Sable's team of, I guess they're kind of bounty hunters because they are... Mercenaries for hire. They're mercenaries for hire. So they're they're here to take Johnny in. And uh, the only one I know here is Battlestar. Because Battlestar is a guy who took over as as Bucky when John Walker was Captain America. Right. Uh, wasn't he? Is that GW Bridge? No. Or is that somebody else? Wasn't he on the power of the wild? The power? Okay. So this is funny because GW Bridge was on a team called Wild Pack, but that's Cable's team, Wild Pack. Oh, right. That one. So <laughs> it's funny because in in the there's a two part Cable miniseries called Blood and Metal, and in that one in that miniseries there's a flashback to a scene where the Wild Pack gets a cease and desist from Silver Sable saying you can't use the, that team name anymore so they change their name to Six Pack. Okay, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the, similar to Code Blue and to the Anachronauts, there are some names or images that you might recognize yeah. but largely nobody knows them. And in the 90s, there were so many of these teams and I keep talking about Executioner's Song which is, you know, the cable miniseries, that two-part miniseries is uh, we recorded that part of the episode as well, in that episode as well. And there's just like so many teams. Mr. Sinister has the Nasty Boys and uh, Magneto has the Acolytes and Strife has the, the Mutant Liberation Front. It's like there are just dozens of these small teams of random random characters in the 90s. Okay, so Mo- Molecule Man goes up against a Watcher. Like yeah. this is a And big he's probably deal. the only human who could probably do this. Yeah, and we've seen him face the Beyonder, so we know he's capable of great things, but he uh, doesn't fare too well against this this Watcher. Yeah, and partly I think I mean, I think the Watcher knows already, but it's partly because Molecule Man makes the mistake of mentioning his weakness. Yeah. Yeah. He can only affect inorganic matter. Yeah. Well, Obviously, then I'll just attack you with organic matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the whole thing. It's like Sinestro creates something out of yellow, so Green Lantern can't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> can't make. Can't, when you can't. make your uh, weakness known, people are going to use it. Yeah. There's an interesting reference here on page 338. Reed is fighting a alternate reality, the, the fake reality equivalent of Reed. And he says, You even bear a vague resemblance to that fictional superhero who died amidst so much media ballyhoo. Yep. And that's a Superman death, Superman reference. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Another little jab at the, the, the big things that are happening in the 90s. Yeah. Totally. So at the very end of this issue, we see Dr. Doom reveal himself, and he's stolen the uh, the cosmic power from Aaron the Watcher. And this scene here is um, is a tribute to Fantastic Four number 57, where Dr. Doom steals the cosmic power from the Silver Surfer. Right. He likes doing that. Yeah. And even this device that he has is very similar to the device that he uses back then as well. So like we were saying about the last issue where, you know, Sue shouldn't be in charge of, of uh, these decisions decisions right now yeah she tells her lawyers well mac matt murdoch is one of them uh but they also have like their financial lawyer 
she tells her financial lawyer to cut a deal with the university to buy them off so that they don't they drop the charges against Johnny that every financial asset of the Fantastic Four Incorporated is at your disposal. Yikes. So literally saying, give them everything. Yeah, just to make it go away. Yeah. And Matt Murdock's like, I'm no financial lawyer, but that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so because of this, he also starts to join in this the, the hunt for, for Johnny as Daredevil. Yeah, right at the very end of this issue, Spider-Man confronts Silver Sable about everything because, you know, Johnny is his friend and he wants to try and make him good and, and help him out and tries to convince Silver Sable to to um, go easy, but she's not buying it. She's going to do her job and that's it. And so Spider-Man swings away and he says, I know, I, I just know that the time has come to call out the big guns, the really big guns. And there's a short story that I want to mention just before we jump into the next issue. Amazing Spider-Man number 375 has a short, it's a, it's a giant size issue because it's the 375th issue. And it has a bunch of backup stories. And one of them is called True Friends, in which Spider-Man kind of goes through his past relationship with Torch, kind of the, the highlights of, of, uh, of their friendship, going back all the way to uh, that Fantastic Four number one, when he tries to break into the Four Freedoms Plaza for the, or not even the Four Freedoms Plaza, sorry, the Baxter, Baxter building. building for the first time. And it's really great. And it's, it fits, it shows Peter kind of going through the motions of why he's deciding to, to get involved, but also like why he's choosing not to help Torch clear his name, but, all, but he's going to put a team together to help bring him in. And it's, I think it's well-written. It's got some early art from Pat Olaf. And, uh, and I really think it's just six pages. I think it should have been included in this epic collection. Yeah, I'm glad you showed me this. Uh, you pointed this out because I didn't know it existed. And it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's not reprinted because the main bulk of this issue is a Venom story. So anytime that it is reprinted, it's reprinted in a Venom issue. And so they cut out all of the, the back half uh, bonus stories. And so this story has never been reprinted. It's not even on Marvel Unlimited at this point, but it will be coming Weird. up in an upcoming uh, Spider-Man epic collection called Invasion of the Spider Slayers. But it's just six pages, and I really think they should have put it in this epic collection. It would have been a really nice, you know, a little bonus feature or something. And right at the very end of this story, Spider-Man says, I know just who to talk to, and he swings over the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah, so we have uh, we have a couple of, not exactly reprint panels, but uh, panels that come cover the silver sable panels from from yeah. this issue yeah and then we have the one one leading up to this next issue where he's going to dr strange yeah and that brings us into fantastic four number 374 this is it the new fantastic four versus the fantastic four suddenly the secret defenders and i, I love i love this issue these next two issues are just fantastic <laughs> i said it uh so spider-man goes to visit dr strange and dr strange already knows why he's coming he needs a team so he gets together wolverine hulk and ghost rider to go hunt down uh not hunt down but go and talk to johnny storm and bring him into custody so there's a lot going on here. And poor Johnny, while he's out on his own, the rest of the team is just kind of falling apart. Yeah, so we kind of glossed over it in the last issue, but, uh, you know, Ben and Reed and Sharon managed to bust out of this 
fake universe. Right. Oh yeah. The Watcher yeah. has. The Watcher has. <laughs> we did gloss over that. The, the Watcher is created for himself, the Rogue Watcher, and they rescue Alicia, and then they can come home. It's interesting because that is a really big story involving the Watcher and everything like that. But it's it's it, not the better part of the story. It takes back seat to everything else. Yeah. This, Which this, just goes to show how good it is. And Tom DeFalco loves his soap opera drama, and the whole thing with this university and being a fugitive and stuff is that's what we want to read about. That's what's keeping us coming back. Yeah. It's not the going to the moon and the super heroics. It's the it's the but, human story. But I've said it before. That's what the Fantastic Four is all about. That's what they do well. If you want to read about going to the moon and having a big space battle, then read the Avengers. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and Franklin's getting more and more powerful, and he's getting really agitated because he sees his parents fighting. And I think yeah. this is really interesting to, to to put this into the comic of the effect of a marriage falling apart and that it has on a, on a child. Yeah. And you throw in a child with superpowers, and that's not a good situation. No. And I mean, obvi- I, I think the message here is it's never a good situation. Right. But but they, they emphasize that through the use of a superpower child. Yeah, I like that. And then Agatha Harkness, I really love the inclusion of her in this here as well because you know she's playing the everyman kind of character the one that we can identify with because she's just observing everything and so her thoughts are kind of our thoughts right um, Dr. Doom gets a new costume in this one, a shiny silver costume. Yeah, he, uh, it's designed so that he can contain the power of the Watcher. And it can only hold part of it, but it's, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's really cool. That's going to play big in the next issue. But the main bulk of this issue is a super fight between the old Fantastic Four and the new Fantastic Four. Yeah. And I was talking about how the fight in the annual was just awful. There's only four Avengers versus the Fantastic Four. And so we kind of have the same setup here, but it's way better. It's just told in such a such a way, much... It, the, the, the flow is better. Much more engaging better, way. Much more engaging way, yeah. yeah. It's just everybody seems to be in character and their actions make sense and it's uh, it's just fun to look at. And he still manages to to get those panels of here's you know this person versus this person and that person versus that person but, yeah. but it's interspersed throughout the entire battle because it's all going on at the same time I think part of the thing that makes this also good is that there are other scenes so there's like there's the battle and then we break to get a scene with um, with the, the Inhumans, Inhumans yeah. and then we get a scene with Doctor Doom and then we go back to the battle whereas the, uh, the, the annual fight was just page after page of this awkward fighting the entire time yeah of course the 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 climax of this is is right when wolverine slashes the thing right in the face with his claws and this is something that we don't often see because they try to keep it you know code appropriate so wolverine he slashes a lot of things but rarely does he actually slash a person which is why the in the 90s cartoon they're fighting the sentinels so often because they're just robots and <laughs> yeah. you can slash them all you want but he actually slashes and he does some serious damage Real to his face like like and we don't thing- really get to know how bad the damage is until the next issue no but again um the thing is known as the one of the toughest in the marvel universe like he will stand up to tank uh shells yeah or you know huge explosions and yeah it hurts but it doesn't crack him or anything and wolverine gets through that and so being a fantastic four fan reading this as a young kid you're like whoa that's ridiculous (laughs) yeah totally yeah it's one of those moments that kind of forever sticks with you 
and what I like also about this is that even though they're fighting and they're like smashing people through walls and stuff like that, as soon as that happens, everybody stops. Yeah. Like they're not, none of them are actually in this seriously. No. And they're just trying to like, they're sure the, 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 sure the Hulk punches thing down two stories, but that's because the Hulk knows that the thing can handle it. Right. They're, they're going to, they, they want to incapacitate the others or, or, you know, get the upper hand so that they can, um, sort of force their agenda, right? Um, if we can put you into a corner, then we can sort of take Johnny uh, in so that he can face trial. Yeah. The only inconsistency that I didn't like here is that there's one scene where, you know, Reed has wrapped himself around Wolverine. Yep. And he's so pliable that his his body just kind of droops around his claws. Yep. But if if Wolverine was so shocked at the fact that he hurt the thing, why was he like? Wouldn't he have retracted his claws being so close to Reed like that? Like right, and and even um, a couple pages earlier, he had tried to slash. Uh, Reed and Sue protected with a force field. Yeah, so there's those kind of inconsistencies, I think. But I mean, we're playing yeah. we're playing up the drama. Um, and uh, you know, one thing I really like about this issue is that there's actually some good humor in here. On the first page, uh, sorry, second page, we have Doctor Strange who says, "Oh yeah, I knew Spider-Man that you were coming. I would hardly be the master of the mystic arts if I didn't." Of course, even a Sorcerer Supreme reads the newspaper to keep abreast of current events as well as Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I feel like I could hear Benedict come delivering that yeah that kind of line there and then uh and then later on when uh when the new fantastic four are searching spider-man reminds them we're not here to like you know hurt anybody we're just trying to bring him in and uh dr strange is like i have to agree hulk goes you're only here in your astral form and that doesn't carry much weight <laughs> <laughs> love it yeah the interesting thing I think about the new Fantastic Four group um, in this context is that half of them have a lot of experience with losing control, Hulk and Wolverine, as well as like brainwashing. And Spider-Man, while he doesn't have issues with losing control, he knows what it means to wield a lot of power. He's been Cosmic Spider-Man. Yeah. And also have a lot of self-doubt. And be on the run as a fugitive. And be on the run as a fugitive. Like, um, I mean, Ghost Rider maybe, I don't, I don't know a ton about Ghost Rider, so, but he's a little bit, bit the odd man out in this group. But this this group could not be more perfect for trying to help Johnny. Yeah, it's true. But they don't do a very good job of it. No. And we don't even get to see the conclusion or anything because they are whisked away at the very end to somewhere unknown. Yeah. Last thing I'd say about this is that I appreciate the introspection of all the characters showing how they're processing and wrestling with all the conflict that's that's in their lives right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, 375. Can I just say before you start yeah. that this 375 is a double size issue and it is drawn completely by Paul Ryan. So he was able to do all of the issues leading up to this and a double size issue and all the issues leading after this without taking a break or having fill in pencilers or anything like and, that. And this is one of the reasons why I like Paul Ryan. You read other comics and they often have a guest penciler once in a while and yeah. he didn't. Yeah, he's consistent. He's I, fast. I don't know and, that he, he ever did. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll have to pay attention to see. But yeah, we haven't had one yet. And he's just he's just great. He's because he doesn't skimp on the details or anything like that. He still does full backgrounds and such, um, which means that he he's just fast. So this is it. This is the big one. Shiny cover. Shiny cover. Would lots be. of guns. Lots of pouches. Yep. And and so uh, shiny means it must be important. Uh, well, it is number three hundred and seventy-five. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. Uh, 375 is called It's Always Darkest Before the Doom. 
We have a quick recap page before we find out that the Watcher has summoned them all to his moon palace in an attempt to maybe not necessarily intercede, but to be slightly more passive in a sense. Doom has come for all of his stuff and all of his power. He doesn't want to interfere, although he can. He brings the Fantastic Four to do that for him. Right. He takes Aaron, the rogue watcher, back to headquarters and to... to watcher headquarters. Watcher watch, HQ. Yeah, to, to stand watcher trial. We have the Inhumans. The Inhumans at this point are living on the blue in the blue area of the moon, mentioned previously. Yep. And so they're aware when Dr. Doom comes. That's why you gave us the whole backstory of the Kotati at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> no, no. Because of because, the Inhumans, because, right? No, it was because, <laughs> it was because of the, uh, the Mantis ba- backup story. Oh, I, but, I thought it was no, because... Yeah. <laughs> why are the Inhumans on the in, moon? Though. It does tie in, though. So uh, I believe they were on the moon because they had developed some sort of allergy to the pollution in in the air or something, wasn't it? Man, it's told in the pages of what if backup stories, and I can't remember right now. Because I think that's why, like, he and Crystal had to break up and couldn't see each other because because she had to go live somewhere where she could like not be poisoned by the air or whatever. Oh yeah, that could be something like that. Anyway. So they know, the Inhumans know that Dr. Doom has come. They don't know it's Dr. Doom, but they know somebody has come and uh, has sort of attacked the Watcher's Palace. So they try and go and, and figure this out as well. I like the Inhumans. I think that they sort of get misused sometimes, but I like them in this issue. They all have their roles and they play their parts. So I like the scene where like they try to break into the into the palace and Karnak, you know, he finds the weakness in everything. So his hand goes right to where the opening yeah. is. Like he falls right through. Yeah, great stuff. And then, of course, man, the big reveal where we find out the damage that's done to Thing's face. Yeah, that's a good one. Such a great panel because it's like, I don't know, are those his brains that are kind of eking out there? It looks like it. Um, It could just be like muscle and pus and that kind of thing. It's very gross. But it, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty gruesome. And then people are always wondering, you know, why is he wearing a helmet on this cover? Well, they're in the Watcher's uh, palace there and they're looking around and he's got a bunch of little like displays or dioramas. dioramas and, yeah. And he has... um a little diorama of the Fantastic Four as they appeared in Fantastic Four number two way back in the 60s yep. with Sue with her, you know, um, Bob haircut and all that. And, and 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 the thing in his full body costume. The full body costume. And yeah, he had a helmet for that one issue, Fantastic Four number two. And so what better way to bring it back and to, to use it to protect his face? But the interesting thing is that this also ties into Nobody Gets Out Alive. And I wonder if he, if, if they had plans. Like I know now if this were Jonathan Hickman or somebody then they're planning five or six years in the future and and so they would have known that they would be referencing this and they could drop little hints here I don't know that that was the case here but it's kind of neat it is kind of neat yeah uh, but anyway, the part of the other part of the reason why Ben has the helmet is because he's being beat on by this um, giant robot, and because it's bigger than him, it's punching down on him, which lands on his face all the time, yeah. which is kind of painful. Very painful. So he realizes he needs something to help reduce that a little bit. So he he steals that helmet. I love that Matt Murdock has been a regular character in these issues here as their lawyer. So he's you know the the storyline of them uh, of, of the trial and everything is still going on, even though they're all here on the moon. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. And yeah, they're using his character to keep that story moving forward uh, as they try to make the deal without the Fantastic Four present. 
And the deal that's made is that they will build a new sports a, center, a sports center, and another building which isn't mentioned in this issue, but it's mentioned in the next issue. Yeah, science, science, science. or something, or and, but also all the future proceeds from the scientific patents owned by the Fantastic Four. This effectively cuts off all their income except for their tenants. Yeah. Which, again, the tenants are, are probably all leaving right now. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, there's some other interesting things in here. The cover tagline on the, on the, on the cover, uh, where it normally says, World's Greatest Comic Magazine. In this one, it says, This is not your parents' comic magazine. <laughs> that's an, that's just another jab at another image jab at comics, image. you yep. know. It's just yeah, it, it all goes together. Where's the twenty ninety nine reference it's in here? It's the gritty nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's one and there's one line in here where uh, you know Sue has a headache. They ask her how she is, and she says nothing. A few cases of Tylenol twenty ninety nine couldn't cure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, twenty ninety nine is still pretty new at this point. I think they're all an issue around issue eight or nine at this point, and. Uh, that is new, but again, 2099 is embracing a lot of the image qualities as well, and so they're they they're making a little jab at that that you know you can cure a headache with 2099. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mentioned earlier there's a recap page here. Yeah. And uh, these weren't terribly common at the time. Uh, no, it's only there because they wanted a the big splash page opening. Uh, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering if this could be just to make sure that there's a splash page uh, on the next page. Yeah, definitely. But it's very helpful. You know, oh, for sure. Especially if you haven't picked up the, the other ones. What's different about this one is it's an exact replica of the last page of the other issue. It's not just yeah. kind of redrawn or anything. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So Marvel for a long time did a one-page drawn recap and then eventually that ended up being like some sort of character who was narrating a summary and now it's just like the credits page with like a couple paragraphs hmm. yeah also i think it's funny that lija and johnny have kind of the healthiest relationship on the team at this point <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, and it's not that healthy but no. uh, yeah uh, we also get the first real sense of the extent of franklin's powers here as he lashes out at um agatha because he can sense that his parents are in trouble and also arguing on yeah. the moon <laughs> wow yeah oh, man <laughs> very cool yeah we have Black Bolt who eventually uses his voice to overload Doctor Doom's armor. And I wonder, I always wonder with this kind of thing, when you are somebody who can't speak and you have the chance to say one word, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, what is it? You don't, yeah, they don't say what word he speaks. Yeah. Often you'll have the letterer put something in like, no, or, you know, whatever. But there's no indication of that here. I also have to wonder if, how loud is it for the people who are standing next to him? Yeah. They're not covering their ears or anything. <laughs> it's very directional. He, yeah, he's directing his voice in a very specific way. Not only do we get the extent of Franklin's powers, but we also get the extent of Susan's powers here as well. Yeah. She's holding a force field that is getting the full force of cosmic power. Right. Uh, the, the Watcher's cosmic power channeled through Doctor Doom. And she's holding her own for the longest time. And I think that this, like, this is, her powers are amplified Partly because of the jacket she's wearing that re yes. designed, but also because of um, malice is, it has has reduced her inhibitions. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's taken away the restraints, and so she is able to withstand more and yeah, lash and, out more. And like I said last uh, episode, this is really where we see her becoming one of the most powerful uh, characters in Marvel. Yeah. Finally, at the very end, after um, everything is all wrapped up, uh, we have the sudden appearance of Nathaniel Richards, the time traveler who in one timeline becomes Kang. Who also happens to be Franklin Richards' grandfather. That's right. Yeah. And so he is planning to take, take Franklin away. Why? We don't quite know. We're going to find out in the next issue. 
Okay, we still got a ways to go here because we still have an annual, but we have one more issue before, and this is 376. This is, it says here on the cover, the most unexpected shock issue of the Fantastic Four. And I thought that I Married a Skrull was the shock. That was pretty big. Shock issue. That was supposed to be the shock of the decade, and now we have another one. Yeah. So the, this issue is called To a Future Darkly, and we start off in the Days of Future Past storyline. And this is great. I love this opening. Yeah. What a great way to open this because it's like, what am I reading? An X-Men book? <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh yeah, Franklin is involved. And you mentioned this at the beginning of the issue, that he is involved in that story. And so Nathaniel, being the time traveler he is, goes hopping through different futures, and he came across this future. And he's like, I got to stop this from happening. And in order to stop it from happening, he needs to take Franklin. And it's not just this future. He's gone to a bunch of them and has determined that Franklin is actually the linchpin to the destruction of a lot of different futures. Yeah. And it may actually turn out that this stage of the future past is the best possible outcome. Yeah. That's frightening. So he is going to take Franklin away so that that doesn't happen. And of course, especially Sue is not happy about that at all. I think that's a great concept that they don't really explore. I mean, having having read the rest of this this story, um, I mean, it does play up because we meet another villain who ends up being kind of the big bad toward the end of this run. But I feel like they didn't really explore the the potential of what could happen with Franklin as well yeah. as they should have. I it think. was just sort of like, I'm telling you this is going to be the case, and then they leave. I would have liked to see it. Yeah. Just a little bit. I mean, we've seen Days of Future Past, so maybe that was their way of showing us that it is really bad. But yeah. I would have liked to see a little bit more, I think. But yeah, throughout this issue, uh, they there's a big a big fight between FF and, believe it or not, Agatha Harkness. Yeah, <laughs> and because Nathaniel. she she understands. She understands, and she's she's siding with. She understands Franklin's powers because right. she's she, she's been sensing it growing. And, and he attacked her last and issue. And he attacked her. So like she loves the child, and she explicitly says that, and doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. But he she also understands that this kind of needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, she also reveals to this is a big moment. She reveals to Sue that malice is infecting her her mind and making her do things. And Sue's like, uh, "Yeah, I let it happen." Right. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time that first of all it's being actually addressed out loud, and second of all that that she has she has uh, no problem with it. Right. Exactly. She's the one who let it happen. So yeah, um, the cover of this one has the picture of Nathaniel Richards blasting Sue on the cover, and then that panel happens in the issue. It's on page 426, and it just doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't even look like it's affecting her. Like she's No, the shadings are really different. and it, She's got a force field around and stuff, so it's like kind of a disappointing cover because you think it's going to happen, but it doesn't really happen. Although it's a closer than a lot of covers. <laughs> but yeah, the big shock here, of course, at the very end is that Nathaniel Richards goes away in the time sled and then comes back almost immediately, but the person who comes back isn't Nathaniel Richards. It's Franklin Richards as a teenager uh time platform not time sled the time platform yes. oh yeah yeah but uh you know and, and that's a huge shock but also there there are a lot of shocks in this I issue we have sue who is saying like johnny should just be let off the hook 
and this huge rant about he shouldn't have to go to jail or anything because he's being attacked. But that's not up to her to decide. That's up to the courts to decide. He, like, even Johnny was saying, I did it, mm -hmm. you know, and we should we should sort of play this out. And she's going, nope, no, nope, just like, you know, waving their, their celebrity around. And right. Yeah, uh, I think that was pretty shocking. And, and especially because he goes, oh, Reed, you went off and to save the universe instead of here to protect your family. He literally was trying to save the universe. <laughs> and and Sue's like, no, your family should be more important than the universe. But he didn't even know what was happening no, with didn't. his family. Like the, he, It all happened yeah. while he was away. And technically, he was trying to save the family. He was trying to save Alicia. That's true. And she's family. And it happened to save the universe in the process. Yeah. By accident. <laughs> yeah. We also have an introduction between Alicia and Elijah, which uh, is awkward. <laughs> and and Elijah decides that she wants to go with Johnny to the police station to turn himself in. Yeah, her progression has been really nice. I, I feel like it's been natural. Yeah. Her her hatred turning into understanding. Yeah. It's been it's been neat a neat progression from issue to issue. Yeah. And it continues which we'll see in the next volume. Yep. But uh, I really, this is why she's actually one of my favorite characters, one of, especially one of my favorite Fantastic Four members. Yeah. Um, because she's had a lot of really good growth over the years. So then right before the end of this, we have uh, another parody ad. This one from Marvel Swimsuit Special Number 2, and it's for The Clanger. <laughs> Uh, it says, uh, we know you work hard at being bad. And let's face it, planning world domination can really take it out of person. And so the clanger is a parody of the clapper. And it's like, you can just destroy your enemies by clapping your hands. There's so many of these parody ads. They're all over the place. Well, you have to fill a uh, magazine type swimsuit issue with, with something. Yeah, I guess so. All right, now we have the last issue. It's the second annual in this book, Fantastic Four Annual number 26. The first story, it has two stories. First one is called Dreadface Lives. Dreadface was an alien from Devos the Devastator's spaceship, uh, his uh, floating menagerie, uh, who took control of both Ben and Johnny in Fantastic Four 360. And in that issue, the island that they're on basically blows up. And they assume that because Dreadface is weak to fire, that, you know, he's been destroyed. And it turns out, nope, he's not been destroyed. And now he comes to a um, island resort and takes over. If I remember correctly, I think we see the black ooze in the water or something like that, right? Oh, yeah, maybe. So it's pretty clear that he's not dead, but this is his second appearance. And he's now in Florida at a, a, a resort. By the way, Dreadface appears two more times once in fantastic force and once in fantastic four foes which means he has appeared more times in oculus <laughs> cementing that top spot in the top 10 villains <laughs> <laughs> number two so yeah, this story, it, it starts off kind of being about these guys who are in this, who have this resort because they are money launderers and they're using the resort to launder their money. But that's not actually the story. In fact, it plays a very small role. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I would have been interested in seeing more of that. But in fact, Dreadface comes and just kind of takes over one of the, the characters there and says, I will help you with your situation if you help me with mine. Uh, and in they end up making a bunch of clothes of Dreadface. Yeah. And in order it, to try and, I guess, take over the world kind of thing. Yeah. And that's not good. Meanwhile, Psylord Cy and, uh, which is Franklin Richard's superhero name, I guess right. we should say. I don't know if yeah. they ever say it in uh, the I don't think he's actually yet. come up with that name yet. Okay. So Franklin, teenage Franklin and Ben go to Florida for a little vacation getaway. A little bit of a bonding time. Um, it's odd that this is the second issue with Franklin in it because I, I haven't, I can't remember what the next issue of FF is. But I would have thought that that would have the reaction of, of, of especially his parents, 
yeah. to a teenage Franklin, but yeah. this is the issue we get. We get a little bit of it. Uh, Sue doesn't believe it and thinks that he's like a scroll imposter because, I mean, they just had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> but what we see first is that Reed has hooked him up to machines to verify who he is. Right. And while, yes, that's totally the first thing Reed would do, you would think that there would be some conversation before that. But I think it in continuity, it has to be here because I'm pretty sure that Sue changes out of her costume, of this costume into a new costume yeah. in the next it's, it's issue. pretty quick. So it, I think this story has to fit in this issue right here, something like that. It's like, or maybe, I, I honestly don't remember. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. He does call, he calls his armor the Psylord armor, but he doesn't refer to himself as Psylord. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So these 1993 annuals, they are not crossover stories like the previous ones, but they did have a gimmick. Each one of these annuals in 1993 introduced a brand new superhero, and all of them came polybagged with a trading card of that new hero. So you can collect the whole series of characters of that never cards. appear again. <laughs> no, there's. It's not just four cards. There's because every annual had a brand new superhero. So how many was that? I don't. know. There's probably like oh. twenty of them or something. Oh wow! But yeah, everyone, that's a lot of new characters. Everyone to come from Spider Man to Moon Knight. You know. So this character is Wild Streak. She is handicapped, paraplegic. She, paraplegic. She has uh, some special leg boot things that um, allow her to have use of her legs again but they have a short battery life and so she has to constantly leave battle to go and recharge yeah uh, she's assisted by her dad yeah. in a van in a van kind of like the punisher, punisher. <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking that too it's like oh this is the punisher but uh very very different it's actually also very similar to um oh i forget her name there were those five spider-man like anti-drug comics right yeah and one of them took place in toronto and there was uh uh it had the texas twisters texas twisters in it right yeah um, um uh, well, it was... the texas rangers and and uh a texas twister was one of them yeah i think and 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 uh she was also in a wheelchair but she had her like super fancy wheelchair stowed in her van yeah there have been a few wheelchair characters over the years like um whiz kid yeah. who was part of the uh X-Men right now yeah um yeah he was part of the what was it what were they called the exterminators and then um oh who yeah. who palled around with the new mutants a lot right and then uh with some professor x guy i, I don't know yeah. some of that <laughs> So anyway, she makes one more appearance in Thunderstrike the next oh, year. okay. Also making her appear more than Oculus. <laughs> and then she disappears until Civil War, surprisingly. She made an appearance in Civil War. Well, was it just like a, one of those case files things? It, it was, it, it was a, they had some yeah. of those books where it's like they list off a ton of characters and which side that they were on. and then Yeah, no, no, no. It was, it was an actual appearance. Okay. But it was, it was very minor. Yeah. This issue is also drawn by Herb Trimpey. And I have to say, it's better than the previous annual. I enjoyed it more. Yeah. There are still some absolutely horrendous oh. scenes. Uh, take a look at page 441. Uh, just the picture of Sue pointing toward <laughs> oh, <man. Sylord. laughs> How is her body bending this way? I don't understand it at all. She has no bones. She's, she's the new Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, but overall, this one was much more enjoyable of a story. And I think focusing on Thing like by himself pretty much was a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another weird art choice. Carrie, the mobster girlfriend who was uh, first possessed by Dreadface. When Dreadface leaves her body, she's like completely wasted. Yeah. Away. Like she's a husk. Mm -hmm. And he's basically holding her skin like a, like a skin suit kind of yeah. thing. But um, you can see her ribs. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the skin is peeling away and yeah. revealing the bones. And my, my guess is that they did that to avoid having to draw like naked breasts. Yeah, but, right. But it's, it's, it looks weird. It does. 
I like how Franklin has the same hound scars that Rachel Summers has mm-hmm. uh, from being one of uh, Ahab's brainwashed mutant hunting hounds. Yeah, so we don't get to really know about that. And I'm sure we'll find out more about that in the future. Yeah, but I don't like how Franklin decides to use his powers to change Ben's mind. Ben is not in the mood to go to a fancy resort. And Franklin's like, we have to go here. And so, like, uses his powers on Ben. Yeah. And that's not cool. Not cool. It's not, it's, it's kind of out of character, especially considering the way they set him up in the rest of the, the, the books. Well, this is only his, technically kind of his first appearance, Right, though. so so maybe maybe it's they not... haven't developed it internally, what he's going to be like. And I can't remember if he struggles with that in future issues as well, like not, through Fantastic not Force. Not the family, though. Well, I guess but, we'll have to see yeah. how that plays out, yeah. Tamika, that's, uh, that's Wildstreak's identity. Her dad uh, has a history with Hydra. Right. Yeah, there's one odd line in there. It's like, so I went to a group that didn't... This is an African-American couple, uh, family. Yeah, right, yeah. Because you can't tell just by us talking about <laughs> it. But he um, he gets sidelined in his job because of his, his color. And then he says, the line is, then I went to an organization that didn't care about my color, and Hydra. It's, it's Hydra. <laughs> it's like, and it's there's... so weird that it's Hydra. He would have been a much better fit for AIM because he's like a tech whiz. Yeah. But uh, they made that call for some reason. Yeah. On page 466, Dreadface calls himself and his clones symbiotes. And I've always wondered if there's supposed to be some sort of connection between Dreadface and Venom, the, the, what, we now, what we now call the Clintar symbiote race. I would love them to tie them in. That would be cool. It would be kind of cool. Yeah. They, they have a lot of similarities. It would make sense. Like vulnerability to fire. You're taking over a person's body. and, and it's Sucking the life. Gooey, sucking the life out. Yeah. 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 But they, as far as I know, they never actually came out and said that. I remember having that discussion when we were talking about it in the previous issue. As oh, well, yeah, right. there's some very distinct um, similarities and uh, like references that could have been very, very similar to like tying this into the Venom mythology. Right. Yeah. We also have a reference by Franklin to flat scans. That is a common phrase at the time to refer to non-mutants. There's, he also shouts at one point, stab my eyes. <laughs> did, you, did you catch that? I didn't. And it's, a, it's an exclamation like he's excited about something he's discovered. You're like, stab my eyes. And you know what other very popular time traveling character says stab my eyes a lot at this time? Cable? It's Cable. Oh, it's Cable. <laughs> it's one of his catchphrases. <laughs> stab I, my eyes. I did not know that. <laughs> Clearly, I haven't read enough Cable. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they managed to defeat Dreadface again by blowing up the island. And this time, it's such a big explosion that nobody could ever escape from it. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Well, until Fantastic Force number whatever. Yeah. So uh, we have here another story called Riddle of the Celestials. And this is another one featuring Cosmos and Cubic. When was the last time we saw them? Well, it wasn't last annual, but they've no. been regular annual characters, right. actually, for like several years. Yeah, and they, and they slowly reveal the mysteries of the universe yeah um i think we explain this every time but it bears repeating that cube cubic is a physical manifestation of a cosmic cube Uh, mixed with the energy of a molecule man yeah and the idea is that cosmic cubes are supposed to be like eggs that eventually quote hatch or evolve into a a sentient being yeah and so that's cubic and then um cosmos i don't even remember what her origin story uh, is she was uh the 
Beyonder. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And Beyonder, yeah, right. um, when his energies have dissipated or whatever from his physical form was was compromised in Secret Wars whenever. Two. Sure. <laughs> yeah. One of them. Uh, then... No, Secret Wars 3. In the, See, you don't yeah, even yeah, know. Yeah, it was Secret Wars 3 in the pages of Fantastic Four. Yeah, and so, and you know, he eventually, like, goes off to find out more about his own nature. Yeah. And, and that's what this is. I love how, uh, I'm a math teacher, and so I love how Cubic is explaining the different sizes of infinity. Yeah, it's very it's, cool. It's true. It's absolutely something that we talk about in math. And he does a very good job, I think, of explaining that. There's a, there are a lot of high concepts in this story. There's not really... As there always are in these. Yeah, there's not really a plot. It's just kind of coming up with different theories about the origin and the creation of celestials. Yeah, what is the nature of a celestial? Yeah, what is their point? How do they come into being? And they, what, I, what I feel like the story is trying to do is reconcile a lot of the different stories that have been told about celestials over the years. Um, but then at the same time, leave it open that you could tell any story you want basically it's saying that um every country has its own version of a celestial story you kind of like how you know there's mythology yeah different mythologies different story creation stories or whatever right and that's the same thing here. And so at and the end of the story, um, Cosmos comes up with her own view of how she perceives the their role. The, yeah, the role yeah. in the universe. And actually, Cubic's like, oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. And so he subscribes to her new religion or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idea is, well, there's such a high order of being that basically whatever you think is the right way to think of them and their role and their origin is probably a right. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. yep. Very yep. philosophical. Very new age. Yep. And uh, there's one point in here where they talk about how the Celestials are the last survivors of the universes from before. They each right. come from their own universe, respective universe, and they're survivors and they were kind of reborn into our universe, which is also the story of Galactus. Right. And so they sort of hint that Galactus could be related to Celestials or maybe will become a Celestial next. In the next universe, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. you go, you go like your original role, and then you become like you know a level of Galactus, and then you become a Celestial. Right. So the level of Galactus is the elder. He's an elder of the universe, right. along yeah. with like the gardener and the champion and whatever. And I guess all of them, if they survive this universe and move on to the next one, they'd also become Celestials. But this is something that they actually had talked about a lot around this time about Galactus possibly being celestial or on celestial level but he they does never, have the color scheme he doesn't they never really go anywhere with it and they kind of forget about that yeah. that side of things after this issue a couple of extra bonus pages one of them has the second printing of fantastic four 371 which is the red embossed cover we also have a picture of the annual 26 in its poly bag yes. as well as the front and back of wild streaks trading card there you go following that we have a swimsuit special number one pinup and a special uh, marvel swimsuit special number two pinup the first one by Walter Simonson and Tom Smith, and the second one by Walter McDaniel, uh, Matt Banning, and Tom Smith. And there's nothing really to write home about in these ones. No. Uh, the first one is actually kind of plain. Uh, the second one is actually a little confusing. <laughs> it says, "When the Invisible Woman said she was going to wear a see-through swimsuit, I knew I should have got my—I shouldn't have got my hopes up." 
And what it is is that she's made her body invisible where the swimsuit would be. But there's so much going on in behind that it's hard to tell. It looks yeah. like she's wearing this like purpley colored swimsuit, but then like some of the lines are missing or something. Yeah, it's it, not really well conceived. It's it's a good idea, poorly executed. Yeah. Then we have a Marvel Holiday Special number two pinup by Darren Ock and Steve Montano. Uh, this is kind of neat. It's nice. Don't yep. know those names. Nice to see Impossible Man. Impossible Man, Man yep. They've got uh, pictures of She-Hulk and Medusa on the wall, remembering their other teammates or some of their other teammates uh, at this time. No Luke Cage there, though. Nope. Lockjaw slippers, a plushie of Lockheed, and a Spider-Man dartboard. <laughs> also, Sue's holding a mug that says, World's Most Cosmic Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say, uh, what about Granny Goodness? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's DC. That's the other company. <laughs> Finally, in this collection, we have Marvel Year in Review 92 parody article written by a Mr. Dan Slott. Yeah. Who is currently writing Fantastic Four. Yeah, it all comes around. It all comes around. That was actually a pretty funny one because it's talking about how Johnny Storm is uh, that a couple of movie or TV show TV producers yeah. have taken the whole concept of Johnny marrying a Skrull and have turned it into a sitcom. Featuring Tommy and Lisa Rain. Not Storm, <laughs> Rain. Yeah. And, so, and, then, and then it talks about how, you know, typical, any similarities between people living or dead is purely coincidental. Purely coincidental. So he, he tries to sue them for, for basically trying to uh, benefit off of his story. Yep. And, uh, and again, it mentions Matt Murdock as their uh, lawyer. Yep. But it also mentions the super channel and oh yeah you know we we had a channel called the super channel uh but this is referring to like a channel of superhero themed programming oh <laughs> you know that could actually be a viable thing with be, the amount of superhero yeah. stuff that's out there so um anyway the funny thing about the article is that it says Matt Murdock is there is his attorney and he's never seen the show because <laughs> he's blind. Yeah, it's a funny article. I like that one a lot. Uh, and then there's a, a, a sidebar about the Super Channel and it talks about all of the uh, the shows and programming that's on the Super Channel. And so it mentions I Spy a Super Guy, which is a home video show. So like you film your home videos <laughs> of, of, of seeing superheroes and send it in. That's a uh, TikTok. That, yeah. <laughs> Super Dance Party USA, hoping, uh, hosted by Captain Ultra, with occasional appearances by Simon Williams. Nice. Married with Mutants, starring Chrissy Peachgate as the lovable newlywed who develops a different and hysterical funny power every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> Doom's Diner, where he, he cooks. Nice. Punisher 5-0, kill him, Dano. <laughs> <laughs> And it says that uh, he left a note behind when he quit saying it's too wimpy. They left at least four perps alive every episode. And it mentions a, a Doctor Strange project that was canceled. Now, here's the interesting <laughs> part. They have little synopses of some of their new shows coming in as mid-season replacements, which is a foreign concept these days. Because first of all, everything is online and streamed. Second of all, because they put in their like, you know, mid-season breaks and everything, there's not really any such thing as a mid-season replacement. Yeah, right. Anyway, Growing Up Bucky. It follows around uh, Jack Monroe as he talks about his life as Bucky, starring Fred Savage as young Bucky. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, just the 14 of us. Can 14 mutants, uh, mutants share a mansion without driving each other crazy? Starring Patrick Stewart as Professor X. 
<laughs> Brilliant. They knew from the start. <laughs> from in 1992. Yep. Uh, Alyssa Milano as Psylocke. Good choice. Yep. Except not not Japanese. Yeah. Lorenzo Lamas as Gambit. I don't know who that is. Probably somebody of the time. Uh, widely known for his role of Lance Cumson, the irresponsible grandson of Angela Channing in the soap opera Falcon Crest. Well, that would be why I don't know him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, instead of American Gladiators, there's Murder World Gladiators. <laughs> Avengers 90210, starring Mary Lou Henner as Wanda, Brent Spiner as Vision, of course, <laughs> and well, Simon Williams as Wonder Man. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, This Old Armor on PBS. Mm, love it. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. Those are great fun. Yeah. The last page is a parody ad from the same year in review about uh, Mr. Fantastic's Home Improvement Library, including books such as Unstable Molecules, Quantum Physics, Temporal Reamplification, and Building a Backyard Deck. You have a book called Unstable Molecules on your shelf, don't you? I do. Yeah. It was a Fantastic Four miniseries. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, okay, not much in the way of bonus features, actually. Just just nothing of substance, Neat really. inclusions. Yeah. It's not, like, these are things that are not going to be reprinted anywhere else. I would have preferred, though, if they were tight on space, to ditch all of the parody ads and put in that backup story from Amazing Spider-Man 375. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Okay, well, man, that was a longer episode than I thought it was going to be, but that's okay. Yeah. And I thank you, Eric, for joining me for yet another Fantastic Four uh, volume. You're welcome. Next time you're on the show, uh, we may just keep on going with Fantastic Four. And we were actually talking about maybe trying to include some Fantastic Force in there because it ties in heavily with uh, the next volume coming up. Yeah. If you don't know what Fantastic Force is, tune in and find out. Yeah. Well, you can uh, visit me on Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram and also Twitter and YouTube. All of those ones you can search for Epic Marvel Podcast and uh, and find me there. We also have a Facebook page where we talk about Epic Collections all day and you can join me at that one as well. And otherwise, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. See you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.